0: Welcome to the Optimal Body Podcast. I'm Dr. Jen.
1: And I'm Dr. Dom. And we are doctors of physical therapy, bringing you the body tips and PT pearls to help you begin to understand your body, relieve your pains and restrictions, and answer your questions.
0: Along with expert guests, our goal of the Optimal Body Podcast is to help you discover what optimal means within your own body. Let's dive in
1: dropping into our next interview we have bo whitman and bo we actually met through a really good friend of ours Um, and this is our first time hearing his story so bo is a passionate athlete cancer recovery coach and motivational speaker who is dedicated to helping cancer survivors and injured athletes make full recoveries Um, along with that something that both jen and i really appreciate about bo is he helps motivate individuals just to be vulnerable and share their stories so that they can really heal through that both physically and emotionally. So we get really deep here. Bo has an amazing story. Stay tuned in right until the end and enjoy. So we're so excited today to have Bo Whitman on, who is a cancer recovery coach and has just been stepping into this amazing role as a recovery coach in general for people who have gone through their story and are now returning back to the basics. Bo, thanks so much for being on today with us. Can you just tell us a little bit more about yourself?
2: Yeah, of course. Thank you though, first for allowing me to come on this platform and talk But about myself, I was a competitive gymnast for 10 years. I was a collegiate athlete as a division one track athlete as a pole vaulter at Lehigh University. Um, During that time, I was also nationally ranked in four other sports in high school, and I compete collegiately in uh, Olympic weightlifting as well right now as a 72 kilo lifter. Um, Talking about that whole entire thing in general, though, my expertise and foundational movement Came from all my injuries that I've experienced over the past, got 10 to almost 15 years. I've recovered from six major reconstruction surgeries. Both my shoulders were done. Both my wrists were done. My knee was scoped. And then I had my left shoulder done again as well. And then this past, actually a year ago next week, I was uh, diagnosed with stage three germ cell cancer where I had to go through four and a half rounds of heavy chemo. And then I had to get uh, two major lymph node dissection surgeries. The first one, I had to get my whole chest and stomach opened up. And then I had to get my neck opened up as well. And from there, I ended up you know, going back to the roots with every single surgery, finding myself back at that basic position of what am I going to do? Just go back to the gym and lift heavy or go back to my foundational roots like we did in gymnastics training back in the day. And I ended up going back to always that training philosophy of the basics. And over time, it's just grown into something that I love doing. And I love to share when people come doing. when they're hurt or they're recovering as a cancer survivor.
0: Wow. Oh, my goodness. This is... I mean, even just in the first two minutes of getting started, <laughs> I think your your story is... is- Super powerful. Just where you've come from and what you're doing with everything now, it's super inspiring. And I just got to say, like going from gymnastics to pole vaulting, that was something I did as well because they were like, Oh, you were a gymnast. You can go upside down. But I didn't have a good pole vaulting coach, so that didn't work out for me so well. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's great. They're like, if you could do gymnasts, gymnast, you can also do this. It's same. It's crazy. You'll yep. do great. Just grab a pole and go.
0: <laughs> exactly. That's what they try to say was the same thing until... The Spanish teacher was trying to teach us and he had no idea what he was doing. (laughs) (laughs) But I think, you know, in terms of what you said in building on the basics, what does basics mean? Because, you know, there's a lot of different theories, methodologies in terms of foundational layers. So, what is basics to you?
2: Basics to me. I mean, it's funny. I've done all different types of sports from wrestling, soccer, diving. Track and field, gymnastics, and it always comes back to stability for me and just building your core and your foundational movements in terms of your core strength, being able to support your own weight. But that doesn't mean in terms of like how many push ups or how many pull ups you can do. It just goes back to like the basic movements of how long can I stand on one foot for or getting my body more importantly realigned to find out where my weaknesses are. And it's amazing when I look back at every single surgery. Everything happens for a reason, like my mom always tells me. And it was amazing because when I got hurt, it was right before or right after a major competition I had. And it was me nursing an an injury that I knew that was there, but it wasn't going to get better until I took so much time off. And every single time I got hurt, I was able to take a step back, meet with some people and be like, okay, this is my, my hip is so out of line. How do I fix it because I have lower back pain? all right, well, we got to do some breathing techniques. We got to focus on realigning your core and your glutes. And it's going back and working on that stability factor and that basic fundamental movements of being able to move without pain, I believe.
1: I think that's so foundational and something I started to realize a lot. And I think a lot of people start to realize that throughout their journeys, once they start to have injuries, and once they start to have pain, that start to just impede them from doing those things they want. I mean, you're competing at a high level and you're doing a lot of things at a high level. And then you start to have injury that starts to keep you from doing what you want to do. And that both physically and emotionally can really be impactful on a young athlete or a young man. And I know that that's kind of what directed me back towards the foundation. And it's funny how you guys say, oh, gymnasts, like, they say about pole vaulting, they'll be good at it because they can go upside down. I'm like, I kind of think that about gymnasts for everything (laughs) because gymnasts (laughs) are just, they're just such good foundational movers in a lot of aspects and you can go upside down on your hands and gymnasts are good rock climbers and gymnasts are good at a lot of things that are pretty impressive because you control your body weight and do it so foundationally. I guess my question would be with all the injuries and with the initial story you went through, what where's the drive come from to keep doing it at such a high level? Where's the drive come from to always be wanting to train and compete for something?
2: So, it comes from two places. It's shifted a lot over the past, oh God, 15 years from my surgeries and then my cancer was a completely different switch. Um, I'm one of seven. I have four older sisters, two younger brothers, and we are like so competitive with everything. It was like, oh, Bo's going to do soccer. Who else wants to do soccer? Mm -hmm. Everyone did soccer. Then who was the best at the sport? It was... A crazy environment to be brought up in. But my goal, like any kid was like, okay, I started this journey as a gymnast. And when I got like four years into it, I was like, I want to be an Olympic gymnast. I want to go to like, not even college. I want to compete collegially. I want to do this no matter what. And I went to Parkett's National Training Center. And it was like, if you got hurt, like you went to the locker room, you cried it off, you taped it, took some Advil and you walked back out and you like, didn't tell anyone. You just went back into working out because if you shown anyone you were hurt, you could lose your spot. If you shown anyone you were hurt, you just went off to the side and just did some training, exercising. You weren't really practicing your routines. You were taking off the next meet. And that next meet could have put you to nationals or that next bigger step. So I was always in that mantra of, if I can do this, Like every time I get back up, it's like, I can be stronger. It was that whole... that's I forget the song. Oh, re, uh, remember the name. I always had that on repeat on my iPod. Back in the day, whenever I got hurt, and I played it every single day walking into the gym, just reminding myself that someone's going to remind remember my name when I leave this gym, no matter mm-hmm. if I'm a high-level athlete or I'm just the person that just worked his butt off every day, no matter what was happening.
0: Wow. I think I could relate to that a lot in terms of like, you. there's no room to feel pity for yourself in gymnastics so in a lot of yep. ways it was just and there's the fear of if i get behind and if someone else is doing something and will my coach think and what, what you know like there is always that fear of getting behind so you just keep going you push through
2: things. exactly
0: um has that really taught you moving forward and is that something that you've had to work through in a new way with that mindset
2: yes um with everything i've had with every surgery it's like I said earlier, it comes back to everything happens for a reason. With every surgery I've had, like the first shoulder surgery I had, it was a week after they finally cleared like arthroscopic surgery. And I was at Rothman Institute. It was like, I think his fifth surgery doing arthroscopic. And they even made me wait two weeks because I was 14 at the time. Wow. Me, I think I was just turning 14. And he was like, I'm not cutting a, a ginormous you know, I'm not cutting your chest open because that's how it was back in the day. They would cut from your shoulder all the way across your chest. He goes, If I do that, I'm going to have to redo the surgery in five years anyway. If I do it this new way, then, you know, I might never have to do it again. And with every surgery I had, even when it was that bad of a surgery, every other surgery seemed minor. And then, like, by the fourth surgery, I was like, it's, it turned into a game. I'd laugh. I'd be like, All right. Here we go again. we're starting over. What else can I improve in my body so this doesn't happen again?" Or, "You know what? I'm such a gymnast, my upper body's so strong. now it's time to get a butt. Now it's time to work <laughs> on my legs and forget about my upper body. And every time I got hurt, it always reminded me, I w- I've already been through this, and there's no difference.
1: So then, you know, I want to dive in a little bit to a topic that just came up recently and how it completely shifts your whole mindset and it's something that's really unexpected. And I think in the year of 2020, we, we all are kind of living in the unexpected. <laughs> and I think you can relate yep. to this a little bit in something that came up in your journey with your cancer diagnosis. And I want to dive a little bit into that and just some of the major paradigm shifts that you've had in why movement is important and mm-hmm. just what is important. In that drive in life.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I got to the point, I hit a, I think it was, it was beginning of 2018. I hit a point in my life where my mom was just like, you really need to stop getting hurt. Like, (laughs) you're not going to be able to walk by the time you're 30. And my friends had a joke that they were going to get me a walker when I'm 30 because of just all the pain I was always in, all the surgeries I've always had. And it always came back to I was like I'm still moving every morning I got up and did some flow like my warmups were so much longer and my cool downs were so much longer and that's the one thing I remember from division 1 college my head coach it was always about the cool down and the warm up to protect my body and move he was like I would rather see you go out and do a full warm up and a really big cool down and then spend a little time you, you know on the nitty gritty stuff like full jumps and everything cuz i want your body to recover i want you to be able to move at the end of the day and i remember Right in the end of 2018, beginning of 2019, I blew out my wrist. Um, I tore my scapholunate lunate and then two other ligaments in my hand. And I was like, all right, my hips a mess, my back's a mess, like these, my knees a mess. I'm going to spend all this time and just move. And I remember I didn't pick up a single weight during that time. I just did running mechanics. I went back to the basics and focused on all that. And then when my wrist was recovered... I was able to dive right back into Olympic weightlifting and I got qualified. I was right about to go qualify for uh, American Open and I was at the meet. And it was like, and Jen, you and Dom, you'll know this as an athlete. You, when you roll an ankle and you'll know it's like, oh, it's, it's okay. It'll be, it'll be fine in a week. But there's those times you roll your ankle and it's like a black cloud over your head and you know for a fact that something's definitely wrong. Um, I was on my second to last clean and I was going, I I think it was like a 290 clean. I went and caught it and I just felt like lightning went through my whole body. I remember not even competing my third attempt. I walked off and I couldn't walk for three days. And I just thought it was shock to my body. I thought it was, you know, I dropped 12 pounds in four months to qualify for this weight class. I was in the best shape of my life. I was like, this makes sense. I'm in shock. I've never lifted this amount of weight. And with my weight being this low... And I noticed a small mass in my neck. And the doctor beforehand told me it was just with my sinuses because I was battling like some cold and allergy stuff. And I ended up going to the hospital out in Philadelphia when I went back home. And it was like one o'clock in the morning. I got these scans back from my neck and my chest. And the doctor came in and it was like from a movie. He walked in and was like, There's no easy way to tell you, but you have a year and a half to live. You have stage four non Hodgkin's lymphoma. I don't know how you're even moving right now. Oh my God. And my first reaction, like, I looked at my mom. She was sitting next to me. And then I just started laughing. And I was like, of course it is. I'm like, and my mom like looked at me. She was like, like yelled me. She was like, bro, I'm like, what? I'm like, of course this is what I have. I just recovered from my wrist surgery. I was like, of course I have cancer. I'm like, and I looked at the doctor. I'm like, what are we doing? I'm like, it's one o'clock in the morning. Am I being admitted? Am I going two streets down to the asplin cancer center right now? Like, what's the story? And he looked at me like I was crazy. He was like, what? Like, you have cancer. I'm like, I know. I was like, so what's next? Um, thank God the diagnosis was a mixed diagnosis, but I had to sit with that news for three and a half weeks. Wow. Before I found out the real diagnosis.
0: Oh my gosh. So I'm so curious. This is, I mean, I got chills when you were saying that. And it's just like, it, that's such a su- surreal experience to have a doctor walk in and tell you this. How did you, like, What was going through you? Were you not really in full acceptance of it? Or were you like how were you able to kind of laugh it off and be like, okay, what's next? Like, were you not absorbing it?
2: Well, I always think about it as it it, with injuries and with getting hurt, I always relate back to my pole vaulting days in college because in pole vaulting, I did everything physically possibly wrong that you could whatever could go wrong, I did it. I got Impaled with a pole. I've shattered poles. I've missed the mat from 17 feet up. I've been rejected and got my face smashed in. Like, I've done everything wrong. And before every jump, I would laugh and just be like, nothing could go wrong. Like, I've done everything possibly wrong. Like, if it happens again, oh well, I've already dealt with it. And when he told me, he was like, you have non Hodgkin's lymphoma. I was like, all right, I have cancer, but you know, it's just an injury. And that's how every single day. And like my mom always prepared me, which is like my favorite life lessons from her is everything happens for a reason. Mm -hmm. And it didn't dawn on me because I didn't take... Cancer is coined as such a negative and death sentence term in the world today. And if you walk up to a friend and you say, I have cancer, their whole perspective of you changes for the rest of your life. But if you walk up to somebody and you say, hey, I'm injured... They're going to be like, okay, like I'll see you next week, like or I'll see you when you're healed. Like it's a, com- it's so negative in terms of how we see it in the movies, how we see it in society. But it all went back to me as just cancer is just an injury, and that's how I was able to just laugh because it was every year, every year and a half to two years something was going wrong. That's how it always has been for me. It's like the next injury, the next injury, and then it was this, and I kind of had a feeling because like I wasn't feeling well at all. My back was in so much pain. I thought I like. I had a burst disc or I had something. I thought something was wrong with my back. That's what I really thought. Because like I had so much pain there. And like I was eating healthy. like I didn't feel any other symptoms. And that's why they, the doctors were just blown away. Because they're like, you have no other symptoms except your back. And then when they saw the scans with all the masses in my stomach and neck, they were like, this is just not normal. Like, And the reason why you're so healthy and you're training all the time has been coping for everything. But wow. you're, now your body's falling apart. So I
1: think I love how you're so able to, you know, what people call reframe or, or use just such an amazing mindset during that time. And I think a lot of that comes from, and I'll, I'll talk about like extreme athletes. And being a gymnast and doing what you do, I would categorize that as being an extreme athlete. I played football. I also think that would be kind of categorized as an extreme athlete of sorts or like, you know, who's the guy that did free solo or whatever, who just... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to an extent, we learn to numb our system to these insane things that people see from the outside and they're just like, oh my gosh, that is like the most insane, like crazy... (laughs) <laughs> thing that they could ever imagine but was, like, I like what you said like on to the next thing like it seems like these things have cycled through life and it's just like okay we can tackle this um, I know that in your world of coaching you also like to talk about vulnerability and so you seem to be able to share really easily about these specifics about what's going on but you know you you're a human person right and so what does vulnerability in this aspect mean to you because it's easy for you to share but then what yeah i think that's
2: such an amazing question i think what people need to understand about me because when i tell people that story the initial response i always get is yeah okay bs like you were definitely freaking out you were definitely probably crying and like they it's a really my response is nothing that people would ever really hear. That's why the doctor was caught off guard. But for me, with every surgery I had, I was able to open up a little bit more about it. And it was funny because when I got my wrist surgery, like right when I blew out my wrist, I had a couple of my fellow lifters that I was lifting with, they came up to me and were like, hey, like, a lot of us are having wrist, itch, uh, wrist isu- uh, issues, sorry, and we don't know what to do. And like, I did all the research myself. I went and talked to other Olympic weightlifters that had their wrist blown out that were getting back, and I was like, "What do I need to do? How do I have to do it?" And I remember opening up my Instagram, being like, "Hey guys, this is what's going on with my wrist today." I opened up about my surgery when I had it, the embarrassing things after it, like how I was recovering from it. My first, how I was feeling every day, like after a lift, and then like why I was taking some days off. And that practice helped me open up more during this cancer vulnerability in terms of my diagnosis and everything. And when I coach people, I was a college coach at NYU for four years. And when I was there, I always talked to my athletes. My number one rule was, if you're hurt or if something doesn't feel good, just tell me. Like I'm not going to get mad, I'm not going to get upset. Like I would rather you come into me if I have you running 16 200s today and you come up to me and you're being honest and you say my hamstring is bothering me, not because you don't want to do the 16 200s, but it's really bothering you. We're going to take the day off and work on some mobility stuff and work on some strengthening and figure out why that hamstring's tight because I don't want you to get hurt. At the end of the day, I want you to be able to be able to compete healthy throughout your whole season instead of doing a hard workout, and be out and get hurt and be out for the rest of the season.
0: Yeah. So, how did you go from like this initial, you know, okay, this is what we got to do? And I'm sitting in three and a half weeks of thinking, this is it in a year and a half. Like, what, what was the shift forward and how's the journey been since it all?
2: Ooh, the shift forward, uh, the shift forward happened like during my, I kind of went like in the black zone, I like to call it, or like, just I dropped off the face of the earth. I was in New York City. I worked at seven gyms. I ran my own competition. I was all over the place. I was teaching thirty six classes a week at mo- sometimes thirty at the minimum. And when I was gone for like a week, everyone's like, "Oh, he's on vacation." Like some people, like were messaging me, and I told my just the owners, like, "I have cancer. I don't know how bad it is. I need to take a leave. I'll let you know as soon as I know." But once like the second week and the third week came around. I had people messaging me being like, Where are you? You're not posting on Instagram. You're nowhere to be found at these events. Like, what happened to you? And it was like this kind of thing of like reassurance, like, Okay, like it's amazing how much impact I had. And it wasn't just people I was working with, like at the gyms. I had members reaching out to me. And the scariest part is when you get handed a death sentence like that, a year and a half to live. Like, I, I called, I was in at one point, I think it was like two days after I found out, I called my best friend from. College, her name's Chris Evans, who's like my rock and my anchor. And then I called my best friend in the city, holding grind your hand. He was a professional athlete in basketball. And I was like, Bro, I don't. And he did, he got hurt and he had to quit. I was like, What were you feeling when you got hurt and had to quit? I was like, This is what I'm dealt with right now. I don't know what to do. Like, I'm opening up to you two and I want to tell more people, but I need to wait until this diagnosis is finally cleared because the past three weeks, every doctor that I went to was like, This is 99% correct. Your scans match, your blood work matches, everything matches. Now we just have to wait for the biopsy to come back, which takes a week. And then, thank God, the biopsy came back showing that it was this really rare form of germ cell cancer that mimics non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in terms of the masses and the size, the blood type, like everything. And with that, it's 100% curable, but it's an extreme chemo regimen and two major surgeries that you have to go through. And during that time when I found out like the best news of my life, I literally went on Instagram the next day and I was like, I made it something funny because I'm always a funny, energetic person. And people always call me the 5 a.m. because that's how I am without coffee. I was just like, dear cancer, I look better. Thank you. I look better with a shaved head. <laughs> and like people like I remember commenting on, they were like, this is a joke. Like, no, this isn't real. And then people started, like, I started like went on my story that day and started saying, hey guys, this is all true. This is what happened. And I just opened up about it. And within that first week, I had so... Not even week. It was like two days. I had so many people reaching out to me on my Instagram, wanting to talk or just saying like helpful prayers or just like, can we talk about your cancer? Can we talk about this? You are the strongest person we know. You've recovered from so much. You'll be fine. And I decided like randomly, I was like, I'm going to post about this every day. And Mm -hmm. every day, I got on my story for 15 seconds and just said how I was feeling. If It doesn't matter what it was. If I was sad, mad, upset, whatever it was, like I talked about it and I had people reaching out to me being like, I needed to hear this Mm -hmm. because now I can get through my journey day or seeing that you're having a bad day is going to remind myself that I'm having a good day and I need to make the best of it. And seeing that changed my whole perspective of what we were talking about earlier about when you're getting knocked down and get better. It wasn't that I need to get up to prove myself to be stronger. My whole perspective shifted now to I need to get better so I can help this community. The more I post about this, the more I'm upfront, the more I'm honest about this. I'm helping more and more people every single day by just being vulnerable for those fifteen seconds.
0: Wow, that is so incredibly massive, especially because you know you you talked through your sadness, your anger, like whatever was coming up for you, and I think especially when people go through pain journeys and injury, that's the one thing that I think is one of the biggest struggles is confronting it acknowledging how you're feeling and actually allowing that to work its way through
2: exactly and it's also knowing like it doesn't have to stop you i remember <laughs> my parents and my friends and the doctors were always so mad at me cuz i was always the person that yeah i got hurt i would still work through it i would work and coach through a sling i would do all this stuff and i told my doctors i remember i i was diagnosed in uh late August, early September, uh, I was going through the testing. And then October 1st was my first round of chemo. And I remember going up to my doctors on the first round of chemo and being like, listen, I have five days straight of chemo. Saturday, I have a competition on the beach with 1500 people. I'm going on stage and making a speech and I know things aren't going to go well. I need to be there for at least an hour. And they thought I was crazy. And I was like, also on top of that, In the next three weeks, I have two certifications I have to get and I have two other events. I'm doing this. And they were like, let's see how your body feels. If your body feels okay, you're fine. And I was like, no, no, you don't understand. Like, I'm just going to live my life. This is just an injury. And I kept that in my motion. But at the same time, being open with myself every day, reminding myself if I wasn't feeling well or if I wasn't doing well, my sister was always with me as like my second guard to remind myself, okay... Yes, you're going to go to your event, but you're only going to go for a half hour. Like You wanted to go for the whole four hours, you're only going for a half hour because you're not feeling good this day. And it's okay to be open about how you feel. And I think that's where vulnerability comes into a big play about it. Because with the events I had to go to, or even the certifications that were like eight hours long a day, I remember going up to the proctor being like, I paid for this. I want to do this. Like I have this. And... The proctor ended up knowing, like, my head coach in Olympic weightlifting, and he actually knew me from Instagram from lifting at other meets. And he was like, Listen, you're fine. Like, you know, all this from the back of your head and everything. You can actually help coach me through, like, coach the athletes through this. And I ended up coaching and doing that. And I ended up taking the exam, and it was easy. But being open allowed him to be like, All right, you could take a break whenever you need to. You can help me out instead of sitting and staring at a board where you're going to daze off every five seconds because of chemo brain. But go- being open allowed me to open up so many doors and allow me to do the things I want to do still during this journey.
1: So I think what you're helping describe really beautifully here is a reframing of vulnerability, a hundred percent. Totally. And I hear a lot of people talk about vulnerability as the weakness, right? Or, you know, in a war, when you're looking for the other opponent's vulnerability, you look for their weakness. But what you're saying is when when you're just open about sharing it and not, attaching that negativity to it like you said when you tell people you have cancer they immediately start to feel differently about you or attach some meaning to it but if you don't allow that to happen then you start to draw all the other people in around you to create such a strong community (laughs) that of people that are experiencing that same thing because people are messy (laughs) and a, a lot of people are experiencing messy things and when we share those things we find the community that will ultimately help it become our strength and so I love that Reframing a vulnerability as something to attract that community to us and be our strength rather than ever attaching anything negative to it It is so amazing.
2: Exactly. And I tell that to all the cancer survivors I talk to or people that are recently diagnosed, they're like, I don't know how to. I had someone message me last night being like, hey, I would love to talk to you on the phone. I don't know how to open up to my family about this. And I just found out about it. And I was like, listen, vulnerability is the key. It doesn't just inspire yourself, but the people around you. If you're able to open up yourself on a small level and build upon that, you're going to be opening up about a lot more things. But when you open up your feelings or you tell them you have cancer, they're going to be able to open up their feelings as well. And that was like the biggest struggle, the hurdle that I had to do. But once you do it, it becomes like an easy repetition. I remember when I first had it, I would cry telling my best friends, like non-stop sob. And my one good friend, Nick Paggs, was like, I would love to come. <laughs> you should come to an event tonight. This is like a week into my or my first cycle I was there and I maybe only told like people in person like maybe 5 or 6 so I didn't have to practice it at all but he was like come to this event it's all about speaking out about your feelings about vulnerability i love for you to speak about vulnerability and i thought it was like a small get together of like 10 people well i walked up there's like 250 people in this room and i sat down and within the first 5 minutes he was like all right bo where are you here's the microphone tell everyone about vulnerability and what you're going through and I remember right when I got the mic, I just poured my eyes out and it was the hardest thing to do. But after that, I had two more speaking events and every time I spoke, it got a little better. It got a little bit better and better. And at the end of sharing that, people would come up to me and be like, hey, that's amazing. I'm going to be able to tell my friends not about this, but about something I'm going through now. And it's amazing because I didn't just inspire myself to keep sharing. I'm inspiring them to tell them about other weaknesses that they have at the same time.
0: Or perceived weaknesses. And I mean, I think that's what, yep. you know, is, is so important for everyone to realize we're all going through things. No matter like, yes, you can look at cancer and be like, but I can't share because that's, that's way bigger of a thing. But our own perception of whatever we're going through in life, whatever pain points, stressors, things, like the more that we hide it and we feel like we can't speak about it the bigger it grows inside. And I think that's why you're able to step out as this cancer recovery coach because you didn't allow it to to hide you. And I think that's such an incredible lesson. And I hope that anyone, no matter where they are in their journey, in their bodies, gets to really understand this. And can you just briefly touch on like where you are now, like how your recovery journey has gone what do you, like do you have cancer still where are you within it and what are you doing now
2: so as of right now i am a cancer survivor i'm in i'm free of it i have there's a 5% chance it could come back but it's most likely it would not come back um and right now i'm doing i'm doing all right i had a lot of up and downs along the way um my biggest up my biggest downfall, I guess you can say, is when I had my major stomach and chest surgery, um I had about two hundred staples going up and down, and my hardest part was learning to breathe again. I had to reteach myself to breathe. And as an athlete, we know if we're running like a couple of sprints or we're running like our breathing, we're never really in control of it at first. we We never really think about it until we get a side sticker, and we're like, okay, I got to readjust my breathing. I need to remember that. And I remember when the doctor finally cleared me to do working out, I was walking every day. And then I started jogging. And I jogged. I remember I was like, I'm going to do 10 minutes a day, 20 minutes a day. And within three to four minutes even jogging or doing any exercises, I went into this panic of shock because I couldn't breathe because I had so many panic attacks, breathing panic attacks in the hospital because I couldn't remember how to breathe. How to, and I got back into those flashbacks. But looking back at all the injuries I recovered from, I always was able to recenter myself and be like, okay, arms above my head. I got to relax. I got to remember I'm not in the hospital anymore. I'm not here. I've recovered from this. Like, I All I have to do is stop overthinking things and just realign myself with not just my body, but my mind. Mm-hmm. And my mind is another thing that we don't talk about with vulnerability. But we always talk about vulnerability being like with the body, but my mind was in such an array where if I did anything that would put myself out of breath, I would sit down because I was in this like shock, this mental shock of, I don't want to push myself or I feel like I might have to go to the hospital. But it took time to just ease into it and go back to that foundational movement of, okay, let's work on some core instead. Let's work on some maybe jump roping instead of running and let's add 30 seconds a week or 30 seconds every other workout. like. To build on to that endurance until I felt I was comfortable, and it took about two and a half months until I was able to do it.
0: Wow!
1: I think that that starts to point out something that's really important um, as far as what you were feeling in the hospital. Like you said, the the panic, breathing, panic attacks, and I think in what I've seen as a clinician, especially in hospitals, people will like panic a lot of the times just because of that lack of understanding how to breathe or get in that oxygen, and just after that major procedure, coming back to the breath and needing to incorporate that maybe even more before you go back to some of the higher level stuff and, you know, really limiting that, um, I think is a big lesson. So again, approaching things foundationally, are there any other specific things you did, you know, rather than just going jogging, whether it be mobility or breath work or things that you would work in daily to maybe help with both that panic that you would sometimes feel and also just the movement and the breath in general.
2: Yeah. I mean, I always have... I have two goals. There are uh, three goals. After every injury, I'm like, I will get back my one-minute hold for a handstand. I will backflip and then I will get my daily schedule or mindset back into work. And I would always go back to the fundamentals of basic handstand work with wrist mobility, core mobility, hollow holds going and like reteaching myself how to handstand. I remember the first day I was able to do a handstand and it's on my Instagram. I went up for like 10 seconds and I was like, oh, this is easy. And then by like 10 seconds in, I like face planted so hard because like my arms were just so weak. And that goes back to the breathing. I remember right after my surgery, 14 hours later, you have to get up and walk 14 laps. And it was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. I had my good friend Nick with me, and my other friend Devin, uh, uh, Dev there. And he had to like—I literally had to get my arms over top of him to walk this. Not because I wasn't stronger, but that my breathing couldn't keep up. And it's just being able to pace yourself and not jump the gun. And we have to remember—you can use this in a mental sense too. When you want to go after something, you can't just go out and do it if it's that big of a goal. There's baby steps that lead you to that goal. And you have to remember that you can't skip those steps to get there or it's going to impact you a lot in the future.
0: Yes. I mean, and celebrating those little baby steps along the way, you know, we, we're yep. always looking toward, well, what's the goal? What's the five-year vision? What's the thing? But it's also, it's the process and appreciating the process along the way, you know, just it it impacts the journey that much more. Um, now what, where can people connect with you to find more about your journey, um, learn from you, <laughs> be involved in what you're continuing to be up to?
2: Of course. Uh, they can find me on my website, which is bowwhitman.com and Bo is spelled B E A U and then W H I T M A N.com. And then my Instagram handle is bow.whitman as well. Um, right now, uh, I do Monday, today, it's been a crazy day. I haven't posted about it yet. But every Monday for the past three months, I've been doing something called 15 Vulnerability, where I go on my Instagram and for 15 seconds, I talk about something vulnerable that I'm going through. Or I actually have been having... I have three episodes out right now. I started this past month of people of all different cultures, different job titles of every background that I'm bringing on to my Instagram and we're taking 15 minutes out of the day to talk about what they think of vulnerability, how they see it in their lives and how they face it. I've had a CrossFit game athlete. I've had a uh, big YouTuber come on. I've had a ex-MMA fighter. I've had a top Barry's instructor come on. I have a huge singer that's coming on in two weeks that's going to be talking. And it could be about anything. And I think people need to remember with vulnerability, it's not about how you're feeling or how you're hurt. It could be as simple as, and my favorite example is, I always tell people, what do you want to learn right now in quarantine? And people are like, for example, someone's like, I want to go to Peru, but I know I can't till after. And I don't, I don't know what to do right now because of that. I'm like, go on your Instagram, Sue's been to Peru and talk to them. Mm. You're being vulnerable by opening up about, hey, I'm asking for a friend <laughs> Has anyone been to Peru and can you give me advice on going? And then you're also encouraging them to be vulnerable by opening up to their stories about everything, which is amazing. Uh, Programs wise, I have a handstand Foundation 30-day course uh, that's on my website that starts the first of every month. And it actually starts next week. And then I also have Rebuilt to Inspire, which is my Cancer Survivor program. It's a 60-day program to take you from stranded to strong.
1: I think that's absolutely incredible and a great place to end all the info. Go check out Bo as somebody and a guy who's trying to be more vulnerable myself. And actually, an episode that's probably out already um, where I share something pretty vulnerable. It it freaks the system out a little bit, but it's so powerful in the ways that it strengthens your ability to approach those things in the future and to continue to do those things. So I know we're going to have to have you on again. Thanks for sharing everything. And we will chat with you soon. Sounds good. Thank you so much for having me. And there we have it, yet another amazing guest on the Optimal Body Podcast. So now what we ask of you, if you loved any bit of that or resonated with it, go share it out, share it with a friend, share it on your social media, because you know there are more people out there that would resonate with it just the same. Also, subscribe, rate, review on your favorite podcast app, so we know what you want to learn or other guests that you think we should bring on for you in the future. Keep tuning in to find your Optimal Body.